Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. To truly close the gap and improve outcomes for Queensland's First Nations people requires more than commitments and policy. Services need to be co-designed with local communities, integrating their beliefs and practices to ensure they not only meet their needs, but align to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander definitions of health. The projects featured in this session are exemplars of these principles, revolutionising care and drastically improving how their communities interact with health services. Gadji, Dawura, Nananurum, Bangu, Genengu, Turbul, Yagara, Yugurubul, and Jagara, Nanawalwadi, Dawura, Nananurum, Bangya, Ningara, Dindi, Dawura, Yindu, Maralinjinin, Marabiji, Manangali, Jinjala, Naraganawali, Marabinjala, Nali Yawang, Nali Yadang. I've just said in my ancestral language, Nanawal, hello, my name is Cassie. This country is Turubul, Yagara, Yugurubul, and Yagara ancestral and spiritual homeland. Ngunnawal is my ancestral and spiritual homeland. I'm a descendant of the Fish River people of Pajong, which is a little place called Yass down in Canberra. We always respect our elders, male and female, as well as the country itself. They keep the pathway to our ancestors alive. They walk together as one. And the very important message at the end is stay safe and stay strong, especially in these times. I also have Gwendolyn Blom, or Gwen, with me. <laughs> Do you want? Yeah, why not? So um, my connections are Waka Waka and I'm a South Sea woman. Um, also, I just added my dad, Yorkshire. And, but I live on Jagara country as well, so very connected to my community there. So we're here to have a yarn about Waijangba Jajams. So Waijangba Jajams was a name that was gifted to us by local Aboriginal elders and traditional custodians of the Yugambeh language and Yugambeh Museum. It means place of mothers or the great above, and Jajam means baby or child, so place of mother and child. Waijangba Jajams was a pilot project of the Oknamo and QNMU EB10 Nursing and Midwifery Innovation Fund and has since received continued sustainable funding by Gold Coast Hospital and Health Service, the Department of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health, Oknamo and Growing Deadly Families. Waijangba Jajams is an all-risk model of care that's being co-designed and co-led by the local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. It provides community-based, culturally safe, woman-centred care from a team of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, nurses, health workers, midwives, social workers and admin from conception to the first 1,000 days. Waijangba Jajams empowers and partners with the Gold Coast Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community to drive transformational change and develop First Nation people's leadership capability in the healthcare system to deliver innovative First Nations-led solutions. 
So why? Why do we do this? Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are safe at birthing in war-torn countries like Iran and in, in Australia. On a list of countries ranked by the maternal mortality ratio, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are ranked between Sri Lanka, Romania and Pakistan. Australian non-Indigenous women are ranked five out of 216, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are ranked 72 out of 216. The transgeneral trauma of colonisation, overt or institutional racism, and discrimination and culturally unsafe care contributes to the lack of access and the engagement with services, which contributes to an increase of preventable and treatable diseases, and an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander maternity mortality rate of 20.2% of 1,000 women who gave birth compared to a 5.5 per 100,000 for non-Indigenous women who gave birth in babies who were twice as likely to die within the first 28 days of their life. Thanks, yes. Okay. <laughs> so the contraception and community co-design. In 2009, Australia adopted the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have advocated for the articles of this declaration to be integrated into policies, programs and across Australia, yet true consumer collaboration is very rare. The right to self-determination means that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have the freedom to live well and to live according to their values and beliefs. There are four ways in which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people exercise self-determination which was the foundation of the collaboration with the local Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander when developing Wajam Bajaram's model of care. So having a choice in determining how you know, our lives are governed and their development paths, uh, participating in a decision that affects our lives, having control over our lives and future, including economic, social and cultural development, having the means by which every person might achieve their full potential, so equity. As healthcare professionals, it's important that we recognise past policies that have had a profound impact on the trust and the health and the outcomes of our people, and that these policies have inflicted trauma that is unmeasurable, of particular significance when developing a model of care for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and in children in Queensland is the recognition of the last mission in Queensland only stopped operating in 1987, and Cass has put it here, that's when she was born. So, <laughs> but it just gives you a bit of a light of like 1987. And then the last child removed under the assimilation policy was in 1982. Again, still in Cass's generation. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is serious stuff. So when we look at the building partnerships and trusting relationships, we, we have a long way to go. Um, and this is something where we can begin with co-design. So how did the Gold Coast University Hospital stay true to the development of the service that best meets the needs of the local Gold Coast Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community? It's a first people's project lead, and that was with Cass, who had took on the lead. Yarning circles and first people's uh, consumer engagements. It's known and also in evidence that the darker the woman's skin, the worse the experience. The women had developed a pilot project that was birthing on country and the first 1,000 days of collaboration. The formation of uh, Wajamba Jarjam's working group, so that's our community action group, which also has governance, which is important also when it comes to um, models of care. Strength-based approach, 
partnership with Yugambeh-speaking elders and traditional custodians, partnership with the Aboriginal Medical Services, and smoking with their first smoking ceremony that they had with Welcome Babies. It was with the smoking ceremony in Okla as well, which was beautiful. So you'll see photos at the end of these slides. And the privileges that of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices of ways of knowing, being and doing. <laughs> so that's what we put up there, what we offer. Continued care from a Noel midwife, child health nurse, that's something that's starting to actually develop further. Health workers, social worker also for the conception to the first 1,000 days. All identified positions, though we have two non-Indigenous staff members currently holding space. Within even a holding space, they don't hold permanency. It's something that is done within that model that they actually uh, will sometimes train, don't they, cast the midwives if there's early midwives. So then we are keeping it to be an identified model of care. Scholarships for staff to upskill, like I said, prescribing midwives and cadetships for midwifery students training for registered nurse to upskill into child health. We've grown our own child health nurse and the first midwife child health practitioner. Grown our first cadet to a new graduate early career midwife position. So we have even had one of the women who accessed the service enrolled in midwifery at Griffith and she is now one of the identified cadets, which is great sort of collaboration when we talk about how we're trying to grow our workforce. Integrated family services and navigation antenatal and postnatal education and yarning circles, which is beautiful. Support groups, mums and dads, and that's also having their own, you know, women's and men's business, which is great. Mobile community space, it's a decommissioned ambulance that was gifted from the Gold Coast Hospital, which is, and it's beautiful design it as well. Equity and access, parking vouchers and transport, because it's important when we talk about those who actually don't have access to get into, have the care, that we can work with them about providing the access to it. Access to Indigenous hypobirthing classes, which is very special, <laughs> it's great. Uh, cultural safe space within the Gold Coast, hospital health services, so that's where we've got a community hub that's down at Southport. And again, it has got a cultural environment, beautiful space, uh, women love to come, and it's also how we get that engagement. Now down to what everyone's <laughs> been waiting for. So because we were part of the EB10 Nursing and Midwifery Innovation Fund, we were guided throughout that experience to evaluate the project in September 2020, according to the OCNAMO Quadruple AIM, which is Clinical Excellence Queensland Quadruple AIM, which focused on consumer experiences, staff experiences, outcome and economic evaluation. We're currently undergoing our second year of evaluation with clinical outcomes that have remained on target. So the evaluation sought to understand the process, so awareness and adoption of the model of care, whether it was being delivered as it was intended, the sustainability of the model of care, the experience of the midwives and the staff members, mothers, hospital and health service, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community and other key stakeholders, and if the model of care was perceived as to be accessible and culturally safe. The outcomes, whether it was culturally and clinically safe for mothers and jarjams, the effectiveness of the key clinical outcomes, which are highlighted there. And then finally, whether the evaluation conducted some preliminary analysis of the cost effectiveness in the model of care comparative to Gold Coast Hospital and Health Service standard services. So Waijungla Jarjams offers continuity of care to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and, and non-Indigenous women, women who are having Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander babies. So when we evaluated the model of care, we actually chose to focus on the outcomes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and 
The reason behind that was because they carry with them the transgenerational trauma of our colonial past and experience racism and discrimination that contributes to a disparity in health, health and wellbeing outcomes between First Nations and non-Indigenous birthing women. So we found the following outcomes. Compared to First Nations women accessing the mainstream or core services, First Nations women accessing Waijung Bajajams were 19 times more likely to attend five or more antenatal visits, five times less likely to have a premature birth, four times less likely to be admitted to special care, and we actually had no babies in that time period that were admitted to NICU. Um, neonatal intensive care unit, which conservatively saved the hospital and health service $1.5 million in that six-month period. Our babies were 11 times less likely to be low birth weight and they were four times more likely to breastfeed. So Wajang Bajajams also in that time period increased its staff from one identified position within women's newborns and children's to 10 in its first year of operation and recent funding boosts have strengthened that the child health and first 1,000 days aspects of the model of care and once that's established we will have 21 identified positions within the model of care. <laughs> So a shameless plug, we will be recruiting to identify <laughs> nursing, midwifery, social work, health worker, staff, admin. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you with a few take-home messages that we feel very passionate about. Uh, for those of you that are considering co-designing or redesigning maternity services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families, there are a few aspects in the development of a model of care that we really think are not only proven by research but a best practice, that is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership. So the model of care must be led and managed by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. The most common response that we hear to this is that we don't have any staff that are at that level, don't have anyone with leadership experience. I have to repeat, it's a non-negotiable. Find a way. We're midwives, we're nurses, we're strong, we're resilient. I don't know if there are any midwives in the room, but the story of Exodus, where the midwives were commanded to kill all of the baby boys for mass genocide, but they didn't. They went behind, his, they went behind their back and they hid them all. So we're strong and resilient. We can do this. <laughs> if we can prevent mass genocide, then we can, we can help to contribute to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health outcomes now by ensuring that we have identified leadership. If <laughs> and I've just got some dot points there, poach. Poach people um, from other, <laughs> other areas of health services <laughs> and under the guise of, of upskilling, right? So um, give, give someone an opportunity. So I started in this role as project lead as a grade five midwife. I had no experience in project management. I definitely didn't have the leadership skills at that point in time to be able to be managing a $1.38 million project, but I was given an opportunity. And with that opportunity, we've been able to achieve amazing things. So even offering a, an, an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker an opportunity to co-lead with a non-Indigenous staff member that has the leadership experience, you have to think outside of the box when developing models of care. So if it's not prioritised, unfortunately, I truly believe that we're, we're perpetuating the power imbalance and contributing to in institutional racism and oppression of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. 
The next key outcome is to identify positions and grow your own. So if you can't fill them, then try again. And if you still can't fill them, then try again. And if you can't fill them the third time, our tactic is that we, uh, like we said, we've got two non-Indigenous staff members working with us at the moment. So they're working there to upskill our current workforce. So a registered midwife into a clinical midwife with, with providing mentorship for leadership skills. We've got our cadetships that are working there. But they're merely holding space until our strong black workforce is ready to take the lead. And then the last thing is the consumer advisory group. And that should actually be the first thing. So reaching out to your local Aboriginal medical service, develop an EOI, reach out to your Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community and get them to develop the model of care that best suits their needs. My favourite quote to finish. If you're neutral in situations of injustice, then you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Now I've got some beautiful photos of our Welcome Jarjum to Community event. So this will be a yearly event that's pretty much led by the Consumer Advisory Group and it is a modern take on a traditional ceremony, smoking ceremony and ochre ceremony to welcome babies to the community. And then these are some of the babies that have been born within our service connected to Country Map Language Group. And this is our artwork by Brittany and Stephanie Nofke who are Bundjalung women. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.